So we're in the Lord's army, and we have a job to do. And that's what we learned today in Matthew 25. If you were there, you can follow along in your Bibles or on the screen. But before we even get to those verses, I just wanted to bring you some humor this morning. I mean, with a cloudy day outside and with uh, the virus and with the election coming up, we need just a good laugh, don't we? So uh, isn't it true that often churches will have humorous church signs? Well, you've probably seen all of those. I mean, you've seen them on Pinterest. You've seen them on, uh, uh, you know, whenever you Google something, the memes. You've seen all of them. You've seen them as you're driven by churches. So I'm going to show you some humorous signs from a restaurant in Austin, Texas. All right, so we can just have a laugh. I just realized my trash goes out more than me. And so hopefully that has not been you, but for some it is. I know our trash has a better social life than we do. Okay. I never imagined I'd go up to the bank teller with a mask on and ask for money. And so if you've ever wanted to do that, now is your chance. Isn't that great? Have a mask on. Just don't do this when you ask for it, okay? We talked, that may not work well. And ask nicely. When this virus is over, I still want some of y'all to stay away from me. Anybody feel like that? I guess that has been a silver lining in this. Those people that annoy you, don't like being around that family, you just don't want to see. Well, you haven't had to see them, have you? You've got a perfect excuse to not see them. Here's a couple political ones, okay? Is your refrigerator running? Because I might vote for it. I think a lot of people feel that way. Can you write in refrigerator? I think you might be able to write in anybody you want. And this one, what if nobody was president and we all promised real hard to just be cool? And I think a lot of us would like that too. We just didn't have any politicians in our life. It seems like it might be better. When we come to uh, Matthew 25, those that had nothing really to do with Matthew 25, they were just supposed to give you a laugh. There is parables in Matthew 24 and 25. As I said last week, I repeated myself, and this week I'm repeating myself again because Jesus repeated himself. He repeated himself because he wanted us to know this, and it's very important. The parables that he first tells, after he tells us what's going to happen in the future, he tells us, while you're waiting for me, be watchful, be vigilant, be expecting me. So those parables that we learned from the fig tree and the days of Noah uh, to waiting together, the thief in the night, those were a warning to us to be ready and to be watching. Because if you're not watching for Christ's return, when he comes, you'll be caught off guard and unaware and you won't be ready. Then Jesus has been teaching us parables about how to be faithful while we are waiting. That was the parable of the wise and the foolish servant. If you remember, the wise servant cared for the other servants and did his job faithfully. But the other one, he was living it up with the drunkards and he was beating the other servants. And when the master came back, the wise one was rewarded and the foolish one was cast away from his master. Last week, the ten ten bridesmaids, five were prepared, five weren't, the five that weren't. They were not allowed into the banquet, and they were cast away from the master. And today, the parable of the talents. You know this parable so well, in fact, that you, as I read it, you'll say, I've heard that a hundred times. And usually you hear it when it's enlistment time, right, Sandra? When Sandra has a lot of places to fill, she's never done this, but I could imagine her coming to say, Pastor, preach that about the parable of the talents so we can get some more servants here in the church. Sandra's never done that, but I could imagine she would feel like doing that. 
because you'll hear it and maybe even get a guilt uh, trip laid on you. We need people to serve, and here Jesus is telling us to serve, and so here's the sheet. Sign up and be a servant of the Lord. You've heard this sermon many, many times, but you've probably never understood the context in which it's in, that it's in a series of parables about waiting for Jesus to come back. This is the context of it. And so this is, again, one of three basically telling us the same thing. Be faithful while you wait for Christ to come back. And each of these parables have also warned us that if you are a professing Christian, you say you're a believer, look at your life, because in each of these parables, there is the foolish servant who says he's a Christian who's not. There are the five bridesmaids who say they are Christians, but they are not. And in this parable, a one-talent servant who says he's a Christian, but he's not. So there's a warning. Don't be the professing Christian who thinks they are, but has no relationship with God. And when Jesus does return, you are going to be cast into the lake of fire for eternity and not in the presence of the Lord. So these are serious parables from the Lord. He's telling true Christians to be faithful and he's warning anyone who claims the name of Christ to examine their hearts to make sure they truly are followers of him. So, you know the story well. Jesus says, For it is just like a man about to go on a journey. He called his own servants and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two talents, and to another one talent, depending on each one's ability. Then he went on a journey. Immediately the man who had received five talents went, put them to work, and earned five more. In the same way, the man with two earned two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid, hid, excuse me, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents approached presented five more talents and said, Master, you gave me five talents. See, I have earned five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. The man with two talents also approached. He said, Master, you gave me two talents. See, I have earned two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. The man who had received one talent also approached and said, Master, I know you. You're a harsh man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid and went off and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. His master replied to him, You evil, lazy servant. If you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered, then you should have deposited my money with the bankers, and I would have received my money back with interest when I return. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has more will be given, and he will have more than enough. But from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And throw this good-for-nothing servant into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing 
of teeth. In any parable, to understand it, you need to know what the characters and the things in the parable refer to in real life. I think it's pretty clear, isn't it? We don't have to spend much time understanding this, that the master in the parable is Jesus or God, because they're both the same, and that the talents are the abilities that God gives us. In fact, in our English language, we use the word talent. And when we say talent, we're referring to ability, aren't we? When we say someone's talented musically, we're saying they have musical abilities. But the reason we have this word in our English language is because of this parable. So anytime someone talks about a talent they have, if you want to, you can remind them, the only reason we have this word in our English language is because of a parable Jesus told. And then you can uh, share that with them. So I'll tell you what a talent was in Jesus' day. It wasn't an ability, but that's what we use in our English language because that's what it refers to in the parable. And then the servants, of course, are professing believers. I think specifically of the tribulation period because specifically that's where Jesus is referring to, as we've learned. But, of course, this applies to us as well. In the tribulation, Christians are going to be looking for Jesus to come back to earth. We are Christians now in the church age. We are looking for Jesus to meet us in the air. So we are both looking and we're both waiting. And so the principles apply to both of us, to tribulation Christians and to church age Christians. So what does the master do? Let's talk about that talent. Initially, a talent was a measure of weight. So it would be similar to a pound, kilogram, now, whatever measure of weight you want to use. And a talent, although it varied, was around 75 pounds. So as you think about it today, it was true back then, the value of 75 pounds depends on what you have. If you have 75 pounds of manure, unless you're a farmer, it's pretty worthless. But if you have 75 pounds of gold, you have millions of dollars. So we don't know exactly then the value of what this was, but most likely it was precious metals. So silver, therefore hundreds of thousands of dollars. Maybe it was gold, therefore it would be millions of dollars. Also later, a talent was actually a unit of money, like a, a dollar or a quarter or a nickel. And it was worth about 6,000 days wages for a normal laborer. Put it in other terms, one talent would be about 16 and a half years worth of wages. So two talents would be a lifetime of wages. Five talents, we're talking two to two and a half to three years of wages. So imagine your life. Think about all the, those of you who are tired, think about all the money you made in your life. And someone gave that to you in a lump sum. Say, so here you go. That would be like the two-talent person. If they gave you half of it, it would be like the one-talent person. If someone gave you your lifetime's earnings multiplied by two and a half or three, the five-talent guy. My point is this. Like this picture, we often imagine they got a, a talent. Well, what's that? Like a bag of gold. Uh-uh. This was far, far more than that. These were generous gifts. So I'm talking about lifetime's worth of Earnings, millions of dollars. They weren't given just a pittance or just a little bit. They were given a fortune to manage for the master. 
And when I think about that, it reminds me that God has given us a fortune. Sometimes when we talk about this parable, we do focus kind of on the money part. Sometimes we focus more on the serving part of it. I want you to just to broaden your focus to understand you've got everything God's given you. We sing a song, count your blessings, count them one by one. And if you really do that and take a piece of paper and you start to write all the blessings that you have, you do realize that you have a fortune. And we are, relatively speaking, wealthy Americans. I know it doesn't feel that way at times when you're trying to pay a bill or when you want something special and you don't have the money for it. But compared to the rest of the world, we are. That's just reality. We are wealthy Americans, so we are far more blessed than most of the people of the world. But even Christians in parts of the world where they are monetarily poor, they still have blessings, and they still have a lot that God has given them. I think about this. Every Christian who is alive, except for the exception of very, 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 very few people, have a voice. All of you do. Do you realize what a gift just having a voice is and what you can do with that? You can bless people. You can pray for people. You can share the gospel with people. And you know this, you don't even have to leave your home. You pick up a phone. You zoom on a computer. And you can use that voice to reach the world. But one gift... As I said, probably 99.9% of everybody in the world and Christians like to have a voice. When I was, uh, we went to Jamaica. Those of you who went with me know this. Or I went with you, however you want to look at it. When we went to what we would probably consider a, a, a nursing home. But it was different from that. But that's basically what it was. But it was a place where people couldn't care for themselves. And they were in this home and that's where they lived. But there we saw some of the most disabled and disfigured and uh, poorest people you can imagine. Even, I would say, more depressing than even our nursing homes, to be honest with you. Yet, as I remember this one woman who uh, basically couldn't leave her bed, but I mean, she really only, to be honest with you, had half a body. But she had a voice. And with that voice, she asked questions, wanted to know us. With that voice, she could tell us about Jesus, about joy she had. With her voice, really, honestly, unable to do anything else. She couldn't walk. She had no money. She couldn't go anywhere. But she had her voice. And with that, she was able to serve the Lord. And so that's my point. If a voice is a fortune. Think about all the other things you have in addition to that. And there's no doubt that we have a fortune that God has given us. And so, notice also, obviously, not everyone's gifted the same. We know that. I don't have to explain that. I'm not LeBron James, and there's a perfect example of that. I cannot make it a a minute in the NBA. I have different abilities than he does. I'd like to think he couldn't preach as well as I could, but I don't know. Maybe he could. Maybe he could. I don't know. What do the servants do? Well, two of them get to work right away. I don't know what they did. We're not told. But they had money. 
And either they invested that money or maybe they bought a business and worked in that money, with that money in that business. We don't know what they did, but they did something. And they did something very well. They doubled the investment. If I gave you $1,000 today, it would take you quite a while to make $2,000 with that $1,000, especially today in our economy. I mean, think about it. If you put it in a bank and a savings account, they might give you a half of 1% of interest on that money. <laughs> or if you uh, got a CD, they might even give you uh, three quarters of 1%. So in other words, you invest $1,000 at the end of the year. I don't know what that adds up to. $7.50. So you got a long ways to get to another $1,000, don't you? So I guess my point is they had to work hard. This wasn't just something like they went to the track and they put their talents on a horse and then the horse won and they doubled their money. I mean, I'm not a gambler, never want to be, but even gambling's difficult. Most people are losing at that. And even in gambling, it's hard to double your money. So the point is, to double their investment meant that they were faithful in working hard at making this money grow. That's my point. They just weren't... You know, they just didn't put it in a CD somewhere and the master came back and they made twice the money. So they were faithful servants and that's what we are to be. We are to use those gifts that God has given us. To use our voice, to use our money, to use our talents, to use our natural abilities, to use our spiritual gifts. We are to use them and work hard at using them. Again, not just occasionally, not just when we feel like it, but to use them. All the time, with all of our energy, with all of our strength, to build God's kingdom, to bring Him glory, to bless other people. That's why we have these gifts. They're not given to us to make ourselves feel better or to enrich ourselves. They're for other people and for God's glory. And that's what faithful servants do. The wicked, lazy servant, he buried his in the ground. He had one talent, he buried it in the ground. Why would he do that? Well, let's talk about that. First, I think he didn't really know the master. Didn't he say to the master, you're a harsh man. You know, you're reaping where you don't sow. You're gathering where you didn't scatter seed. Uh, you know, when I first read this parable when I was younger, I thought that this guy knew the master and he was describing the master accurately. But as I've read it more and think about it more, he didn't know his master at all. The master wasn't anything like that. As we can see, first, he gave these guys a bunch of money. Second, the faithful servants he rewarded generously. He wasn't a harsh man. He was a generous man. He was a gracious man. He was a man who rewarded far and beyond what you would maybe think or imagine. So this proves to me this guy didn't know the master at all. He didn't believe the master. The master went off. The master, we don't know, but maybe the master said, I'm coming back. That's implied. He didn't believe it. At least he doubted it. In fact, I think he was hoping he wouldn't come back. That's why he buried the town. You see, if he had taken that money and he had taken it to a bank, he would have to say, I'm a steward of this money. It doesn't belong to me. It belongs to my master. See, anything he did with that money, his master's name would be attached to it. It wouldn't be his. He was just a steward of it. But if he buried it in the ground, the master died, 
wait, now we can go dig it out of the ground, and now it's his. So I don't think he was waiting for the master to come back at all. He was hoping he wouldn't come back. In fact, he was hoping he'd die, and then he'd have a talent to spend any way he wanted for himself. So therefore, he was selfish. And then the master even told him outright, you are evil, you are lazy. Because he didn't do anything with what he had been given. He had no concern for the master, for building the master's wealth. And that's why I believe he, re he represents a person who professes to be a believer, but who isn't. The master responds by giving the faithful servants a verbal commendation. Well done, good and faithful servant. They're also given more responsibility. As we said with the faithful servant parable, it's kind of interesting, isn't it? That they work hard and maybe they'd say, hey, now you get a, a month's vacation. Now you're, here's a gold watch for all your hard work. But no, I'm going to give you more work to do. It doesn't sound much of a reward for hard work. But it's the same today, isn't it? If someone does a good job, doesn't their boss then promote them to give them a better job, more responsibility? So the same thing. So they get more responsibility because they've shown themselves to be faithful servants. And more importantly, they get to enjoy the master's presence. But the wicked, lazy servant gets a verbal condemnation. You are evil. You are wicked. He loses what he was given. That one talent he thought maybe the master would die and I would be able to dig it up. He lost that. That was given to the guy that had ten. And think about it this way. It seems unfair, but it's just. The one talent servant was not a believer and therefore he loses everything. He's thrown away from the master's presence, doesn't get to enjoy the master's presence. He's cast to a place with weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is what's going to happen to those who in this life, who are not believers and gather a whole life fortune's worth, they're going to lose it all. Think about it. If you are a believer in Christ and you work faithfully for him, one day you'll hear, well done, good and faithful servant. One day you'll have responsibility in God's kingdom and you'll be able to be with the Lord forever in His presence. But an unbeliever, if they amass a fortune on this earth, will lose every cent of it when they die. And when they die, they'll be cast from God and cast to an eternity separated from Him. That's why this makes perfect sense. This is what happened to this servant. So what are we supposed to do? Again, a warning. If you are someone who professes to know Jesus, make sure you really do know Him. For the third week, I repeat it. Examine your heart. Have you ever truly put your faith in Jesus Christ, that he died for your sin and rose again to life, and that you're trusting only in him? Also, serve God. That's pretty obvious and simple, isn't it? But again, I want you to think about everything you have, because again, I think too many times we focus on things we don't have. I don't have money to do this for God. I don't have a musical gift to do this for God. I don't have a speaking gift to do this for God. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't have. And then we say, well, I guess I'm a, like a, a tenth of a talent person. <laughs> and I don't have any talent, so not much for me to do. No, 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 don't look at it that way. As I said earlier, start counting everything you do have. And your list will get long very quickly. And then next to your list, think about how you are using that for God's glory. If you have a long list of things you have, blessings, 
riches, whatever they are. If it's a long list and next to it, how are you using it for God's glory? There's a bunch of blanks. <laughs> then you're not serving God with what he's giving you. Think really about how you can use everything God has given you for the glory of God. So I would encourage you to take that simple exercise. One piece of paper lying down the middle. On the one side, what you have been given by God. On the other side, how you are using it to serve other people. How are you using it for God's glory? How are you using it to further God's kingdom? My life doesn't look this way, but it would be awesome if by everything you had, you had also on the other side a thing that you are doing, using that for God's glory. That's a faithful servant. So we should be serving God. Don't think about what you don't have. Think about what you do have and how you're using it for God's glory. And this is not a major point of the story, but it is an implication from the story. These guys that doubled their money had to risk what they were given. As I said earlier, they were not going to be able to put it in a bank and double their money. They had to risk it. Too many times Christians in serving God will never take a risk. They're afraid. It's uncomfortable. It's something they've never done. They're not sure how it's going to work out. So God will call them to do something and Christians will say, nope, not going to do that. I'm not, that's too risky. We should never take risks for risk's sake. I don't mean to go home with that list and see everything you have and say, you know what? I'm just going to try to find the most risky way to use this stuff for the Lord's glory. And then you end up losing it all. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is this. When God tells you to do something, you do it. That's the simple truth. And I guarantee you, God will tell you to do things that are risky. That will make you uncomfortable. That will make you have to exercise your faith. He will ask you to do things that you don't know how it's going to work out. He will do that. And if you listen and obey, he will reward you for that. And you will be amazed at what God uses you to do and what he'll do through you because you took a risk. And then you'll start to see your talents, your abilities, being fruitful for God's glory. And it won't just be a small return. It will be a double return. And maybe even as Jesus says, 10 times, 100 times, 1,000 times... Whatever he says in the parable of sower about all the, the fruitfulness of what is sown to one who is faithful and obedient. Don't be a Christian who is afraid to take a risk. If all you do as a Christian are things you're comfortable with, that you can handle, that you can figure out how it works, you're not exercising an ounce of faith. Anybody can do that. And what's going to be the reward from doing that? Minimal to nothing. But if you step out in faith and do what God says, maybe you don't know how it's going to work out. Maybe it's going to stretch you beyond what you can do. Maybe he's asking you to use your gifts in a way you never even thought of. But you risk it and do it. There will be great reward. But not just for you, for those that you're serving and ministering. And you will see lives change. As we pray, as we sing and respond, think about these three things. Are you a true believer? Are you serving the Lord with everything you have? And are you taking risks in your service for the Lord? Lord Jesus, we are thankful this morning that you are a generous God who has given us so much.
And I'm thankful, Lord, also that you give us opportunities to use all of these gifts. So, Lord, right now, I pray that we would respond to what you've spoken to our heart. Father, I need to hear this. I know people will look at me and say, well, he's a pastor. He's a full-time servant of the Lord. And Lord, although it's true that a lot of my day is spent on that, Lord, there's still areas of my life where I'm not using my gifts as I should for you. So Lord, I pray that all of us would be honest with you and that we would be the faithful servants you have called us to be. I pray now, Lord, for you to uh, to teach us and to move us. And I pray these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Stand with me. We are going to sing as we close our service. I'll be playing, so I will meet you at the end of the service if you want me to pray with you or have something you want to make right with the Lord. But let's sing and let's respond.